Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. While we're take, waiting on our first call, and, and let me mention, callers have priority. Because I know if I'm just getting up here and speaking with a monologue <laughs> that I'm going to probably bore you to tears. The callers are what make this program interesting. So we covet your calls coming in and asking a Bible question, making a Bible comment, because that's what's going to keep listeners coming back week after week to listen to this program is the the interaction of the callers with me as we discuss the Bible together instead of me just trying to tell you what it says uh, without any question. We, we don't we expect to be questioned. We expect you to defend what you believe, and I'm going to try to defend what the Bible says. But if I'm wrong, you'll be my best friend if you point that out. While we're waiting on my first call, let's talk about using the Bible as a guidebook or rule book. You know, really, the Bible is the rule book for Christianity. The baseball rule book defines a game as a baseball and differentiates it from other games. When a group of boys are playing a game together, using the baseball rule book as their guide, then they're playing baseball. But if they're not using the baseball rule book, they're not really playing baseball, are they? Likewise, when people practice religion using the Bible as their rule book, then they're practicing Christianity. But what happens if they stop using the Bible as their rule book? What if they start using their own rules instead of God's rules? If they're not using the Bible as their rule book, then they're not really practicing Christianity. Just like some boys who are not using the baseball rule book, they're not really playing baseball. The Bible should be our rule book. Here's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the scripture is the thing that's profitable for doctrine. If we're going to try to decide what the right doctrine is, we need to go to the scripture. We have all these different churches out here. Why? Because they believe and teach and practice different doctrines. How do you know who's right? How do you know which church is right? How do you know what the right doctrine is? Well, this verse makes it clear. The scripture decides. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the Bible defines for us what God's truth is. And John 8, 32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Talking about being made free from sin. So the word of God defines for us what the truth is. It defines for us what the proper, correct doctrine is. But let's contrast some of the doctrines of men with what the Bible teaches is the true doctrine. If you have a Bible question or comment, you feel free to call us because the lines are wide open right now. We're just starting the program, 877-655-6755. If you have a Bible question or comment, Feel free to call us at 877-655-6755. First, we read in the Birmingham News in 2003. Well, that's down here in Alabama where I am, right down here in the middle of the Bible Belt. It says, this is in 2003. The Episcopal Church approved its first openly gay bishop, the Reverend Gene Robinson. Robinson replied, we have many times departed from Scripture. Robinson cited the examples of ordaining women priests and accepting divorce in the church's departures. Then I quote Robinson here, just simply saying it departs from scripture 
does not necessarily make it wrong. Robinson is the first gay bishop ordained in the Episcopal Church, and he justifies it. Really, it's the old two wrongs make a right kind of justification. He says, well, we've been allowing women priests or women preachers and accepting divorce in the church's departures, even though those are departures from Scripture. So why can't we accept homosexuality, even though it's a departure from Scripture? He's they're not only compromising on homosexuality, but they're admitting they're not following the scripture when they say just simply saying it departs from scripture does not necessarily make it wrong, because that's exactly what makes something wrong. If you depart from scripture, it's wrong. If you follow the scripture, you're right. Most churches are like this. They're not following the Bible as their rule book anymore, and they admit they're not following the Bible as their rule book. They think the Bible is outdated. Oh, we're going to allow gay marriage. The people in the Bible, that's out. The Bible's outdated. We should allow gay marriage or we should allow women preachers. Here's what the Bible says about homosexuality. And that's all that really matters. First Corinthians six, nine through 10 from the new King James version. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. This passage starts out by saying, here's some people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it ends up the same way. And it has a list of sins. So people who do not repent and turn from these sins will not be saved. Fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, and sodomites. How much clearer could you be than that? Brian from Georgia, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, uh, I was curious, as, as believers asset with a body present with Christ, what about a non-believer whenever they die? Okay. Well, yeah, they're not going to be present with Christ when they die. So they'll, the they'll t- remain... Well, do you, do you remember uh, in Luke chapter 16, Brian... It talks about the rich man and Lazarus. Yeah. And this is a place called Hades. There, in Luke 16, I'm looking, starting in verse um, 19, says there was a certain rich man. And then it talks about a certain beggar named Lazarus. And they both went to Hades, the text says. I don't have time to read the whole thing, but read from verse 19 to the end of the chapter when you get a chance. But there's okay. two compartments, you might say, in Hades. There's a great gulf fixed in there. and Lazarus, who didn't have it really good in this life, but ev- and he's not going to, he's not with God because in the afterlife because he was poor, but ev- so he was poor, he was, but he was faithful to God evidently. So he's in the comfort part, the paradise part of Hades, the same place that, that Jesus said he would be with a thief that day when they were on the cross. But the, the rich man, and, and he's not lost because he's rich, but evidently he wasn't faithful to God. He's in the torment part of Hades. And so Lazarus would be with Christ when he dies in the sense that he's in a saved relationship with Christ. He's going to be in comfort. This is, and the rich man would not be. He would be in torments. He would not be in Christ, uh, with Christ when he's absent from the body. And this is where people go, Hades, while they're waiting on the judgment day. And when the judgment day comes, then Hades will be cast into the lake of fire. There'll be no more Hades. And the people in the comfort part of Hades will be put into heaven. And the people in the torment part of Hades will be put into H-E-L, the bad place. Does that make sense? 
Yes, Brian? thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you for your good call. Thanks. If you have a Bible question or comment, please call us at 877-655-6755. So the wicked will not be with Christ. When they're absent from the body, they'll not be with Christ in the sense that that passage is talking about. So 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 makes it clear that homosexuality is a sin like fornication, idolatry, adultery, drunkenness. If you're practicing these sins, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And and guess what? This isn't just talking about people who've never become Christians before. But even somebody who becomes a Christian later, if he decides to practice fornication or adultery or homosexuality or becomes a drunkard, an alcoholic, unless he repents and gets forgiveness, he will not inherit the kingdom of God either. He's not going to be saved. It's making it clear then that homosexuality is a sin which means unless somebody repents, they're not going to be saved. But that runs totally contrary to what we read about the Episcopal Church a while ago, doesn't it? In the last few years, both the Presbyterian Church USA and the United Methodist Church have switched their stance to allow gay preachers and gay marriages. Notice this quote from Time Magazine 2015. The Presbyterian Church made an historic decision to formally recognize gay marriage and allow same-sex couples to marry in its congregations. The denomination voted to redefine the church constitution on marriage to include a commitment between two people. (laughs) So, of course, the Bible in Genesis 2 and Jesus in Matthew 19 defined marriage as a commitment between a male and a female. The Presbyterian church voted to redefine what marriage is. Now they're going to say it's a commitment between two people so two men can get married and two ladies can get married. They must have a lot of gall to think they have the right to change the definition of marriage when God defined what marriage was in the very beginning with Adam and Eve between male and female. The church is now, this Presbyterian church, recognizing gay marriage and allowing same-sex couples to marry in its congregation. And then a quote from the Washington Post in 2020, it says, Leaders said they had agreed to allow the United Methodist Church to permit same-sex marriage and LGBT clergy for the first time in its history. Can you imagine going to church? And when the singing was done, a transgender got up to preach? Boy, that would be, that's just ridiculous, these churches, what they're allowing these days. Are they using the Bible as their rule book, as their guidebook? Certainly not. We saw from 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 what the Bible says about homosexuality, but these churches are saying it's okay. And guess what? If you're not using the baseball rule book when you're playing baseball, you're not really playing baseball. And if you're not really following the rule book for Christianity, the Bible, then you're not really practicing Christianity. So the Episcopal Church, the Presbyterian Church USA, the Methodist Church, they're not really practicing Christianity because they're not using the Bible, the rule book for Christianity. They're practicing something completely different. Johnny from Washington, go go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. I was just calling to see if you knew who's got the 12 baskets, sir. What 12 baskets? The 12 baskets, they filled up with the fragments that so that none would be lost. What do you mean, those? who's got the 12 baskets? That's been almost 2,000 years ago, right? Yeah, brother. Elijah's already here. Johnny, we appreciate your call. Anything else? 
Yeah, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. Go ahead, and, make it quick, because we don't have a lot of time. Well, uh, maybe Elijah is the uh, Ruach HaKadosh, which is a set of tart spirit of Yahweh And so Elijah, of course, as we see that John the Baptist, Elijah was a type of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is not a reincarnation of Elijah, but he's like Elijah in a lot of ways. And he made the way for the Lord. He was the precursor to Jesus Christ. Now, that original quote from Bishop Robinson mentioned, oh, we have the right to change on homosexuality because we departed from Scripture on women preachers and and divorce, so we can depart from Scripture on this too. Let's talk about those two things. Here's what the Bible says about women preachers. By the way, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35 says, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, that's pretty clear on this issue. Nobody's saying it's wrong for a woman to teach a lady's Bible class. But most churches come together on Sunday mornings, for example, and they start with what's called Sunday school classes, different Bible classes based upon ages. But then they, after about an hour, they leave those classes and they all come together into one place, which is the wording of 1 Corinthians 14, 23, to have the church service. Is it scriptural for a woman to deliver the sermon in that case? This verse is crystal clear. It's not ambiguous at all. It's a shame for women to speak in the church. Let your women keep silence in the churches. It's not permitted unto them to speak. Yet I've been told about 75% of congregations across America allow women to preach from their pulpit. Or I ask this question, are these churches still using the Bible as their rule book or their guidebook? Remember what we said, and I think everybody would agree, if you're not following the baseball rule book, you're not really playing baseball. So if you're not really following the rule book for Christianity, the Bible, then you're not really practicing Christianity. You may call yourselves a church. You may say we're Christians, but you're not really practicing Christianity if you're not following the rule book for Christianity. And if you allow women preachers or gay marriage, you're in violation of many passages in the Bible, like Romans 1, 26 and 27, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35 on the women preachers issue. You're not following the rule book for Christianity. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. Here's what the Bible says about divorce and remarriage. Jesus speaking in Matthew 19, 9 says, And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. Jesse from Alvin, Texas, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you for taking my my, my call. Um, several years ago, I had a dream on uh, the passage. I don't have my Bible on me, but it was on uh, Revelation 14.6. And this was maybe about 15 years ago or so. Uh, and uh, anyways, I'll tell you uh, briefly that uh, in my dream, uh, I had my wife like 
uh, pinned down or something because uh, at the moment I felt like it was like a demon possession and that a demon had taken uh, over her. And uh, I kept on saying over and over, God is good, God is good, God is good. So I felt like I was fighting like a spiritual battle. And it took me to Revelation fourteen six. Now, a little bit before that, my mom had given me a uh, Bible. It was a King James Version, and it was a maroon Bible. This Bible was uh, a Spanish version, and uh, it had in gold letters. Uh, hey, Holy Bible. we're going to have to go to Jesse, appreciate your call. Appreciate it a whole lot, but we're going to have to go to another call at this time. Eric from Florida, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Uh, hi, uh, I love listening. Um, I love the Word of God. I have, have been a Christian my, you know, most of my adult life. I was saved when I was a young child. My mother gave me a Bible that I still own, and with with words, you know, personal words from her to me in them that, that I treasure. However, Bible question or comment? I would be interested. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear what you would have to say about what Christian life must have been like before. Christians had a Bible in their hands. The printing press wasn't invented until, I don't know, 1400s, 1500s. I wonder what Christian life would have been like without us being able to continually go to the manual. Aren't we so fortunate to have everybody be able to have their own copy or even five or six copies because of the printing press? Back then, people had to make hand copies of the Bible, and there would have been, you know, you're making a hand copy, you're going to make some errors. There would have been copies of the Bible around, but people had to copy by hand. We're so fortunate, and we have so much to be thankful for, that you can go out and buy, sometimes you can go out and buy a Bible for a dollar or two. Isn't that, aren't we fortunate, Eric? Oh, it's it, it's amazing, but, but I, I bought a book a while back called The Early Christians in Their Own Words, which has a, a bunch of letters and uh, court uh, things from Roman courts and all kind of really interesting things from Christians. And I tell you, Christianity looked nothing in those first centuries like it looks today. And hey, uh, like Eric. I said, it's just a bug in my, my in my head. I was wondering what life must have been like without being able call. to have a Bible. Thank you for Thank pointing you. that out, Eric. That's su- such a good point that we've got it so good. Everybody has access to God's Word so easily. We need to be so thankful for that. Mark from Florida, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, um, I wanted to ask, I've been seeing these websites where people are going and ordaining themselves to teach the Word, um, which I thought about doing, but I don't want to do these same-sex marriages because I don't believe that that's correct. The Bible says you're not supposed to. It's supposed to be between a man and a woman. So if you do this, if you want to become a pastor and, you, you know, you don't have a seminary because you don't have that obligation, you know, can't go there, is it okay to get ordained and teach the word out of the Bible, or is it a sin to to do that if you're not, you know, going to a seminary? So in Acts eight one and four, we see the whole church was scattered abroad by the persecution going on then, and then that's verse one. Verse four says, "Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word." So every Christian, Mark, every right. Christian, you don't have to be quote ordained. Get out and try to teach okay. the gospel. Every Christian, man, woman, or and youth are supposed to get out and spread the word. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have a. They're supposed to preach from the pulpit in the church service. I mean, we just read a passage a while ago that women are not to speak in the church. But there's right. a, 
I mean, we're only in the church services two or three or four hours a week. The rest of the week, get out and spread the gospel. Teach your neighbor. So if go I was, on so if I was out, if I go to hospitals and I want to teach and pray with people, would I be able to call myself a minister, or would I just say, just what do call I yourself Mark? Just call yourself Mark because that's your name. Okay, you yes. don't need a title. And tell them I'm Mark, okay. and here's the Bible. Would you like to have a Bible study? You know, would you like okay. to talk about what the Bible says in this particular passage? Uh, that, and okay, then if great. you do that, you'll be doing exactly what the New Testament Christians did. They didn't worry about somebody giving them permission to preach the gospel. The one, God not only gave them permission to preach the gospel, he demanded it. You didn't have to wait for another man to give you permission. God's demanding that all Christians get out and spread the gospel. Again, all Christians, man, women, and youth. Have a responsibility to teach the gospel. Matthew 28, 19, we call it one of the accounts of the Great Commission. Well, Mark 16, 15 is another account. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Every Christian is supposed to get out and try to talk to others and share the good news that Jesus came and died for our sins. He died for everybody so that anybody who's willing to trust and obey Jesus Christ we'll be able to take advantage of his death. Nick from Washington, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, first of all, brother, I want to thank you for having me on the show. Um, I wanted to get your perspective on uh, socialist economics. Uh, I got a couple verses here from the King James Bible uh, supporting the idea that Jesus was a socialist. Uh, Proverbs twenty-one thirteen: if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Uh, you know, I just I don't think that God's too happy with uh, the exploitation and you know the uh, you know the the bad things going on in America right now. So I just wanted to get your perspective on that, brother. Go ahead. Okay, so we have plenty of passages, Old Testament and New Testament, that say we must be willing to help people less fortunate than we are. For for example, I'm turning to First Timothy six, and you bring up a good point, Nick. But I don't think this has a whole lot to do with economic systems. This talk about what is Pat Donahue doing to help people who are less fortunate than they are? It doesn't have anything to do with the economic system of the government. They don't do, they're, you can't, you can't let them do all your work for you. You have to get out. Nick does, Pat does, and get out and help people. Here's First Timothy 6. It says in verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Now, that's the old King James word, communicate. It means to share. So if you're fortunate enough to have money, to have wealth, then you should be out helping people who are less fortunate than you are. I think that's your point, right, Nick? To a degree, I mean, I would make the argument that, you know, philanthropy in itself is not going to uh, save the American people, nor is it going to save the world uh, you know, I do think that uh, in all Abrahamic religions, you know, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, you know, it has many, many passages about, you know, hey, the first shall be last and the last will be first. And, uh, you know, it, even if you go back to the book of Proverbs, you know, it says here in uh, Proverbs fourteen thirty one, he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. You know, now, here's so, a passage. Uh, again, here's you know, a passage. Go ahead. Here's a passage we have to think about, Nick. In Second Thessalonians three ten, it says, "For even when we were with you, 
This we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So we're supposed to be glad to help people less fortunate than we are, but not people who aren't willing to work. Not people who are not willing to work, but people, for example, who have had some calamity. Like we know a couple in Maryland that uh, their, their little baby was born with this rare disease and that baby's going to have to be in the hospital and doctor's care for months and months and perhaps years. And there's no way their insurance is going to cover all that. So a lot of Christians I know are joining in and pitching in and helping this young family. Uh, and it's not because the family's not willing to work. That's not the deal. We're not helping a quote, a bum. We're helping people that a tornadoes hit their house and they need help to recover from that. Look, if you'd like to have a Bible study with me by phone sometime at your convenience free of charge i want you to call or text me at 256-682-9753 free one hour phone bible study with me at your convenience call or text me at 256-682-9753